You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go. And ten. Um, so today it's the full gang, the usual suspects, uh, Rahul and Leon. Hey, hey. Hello. And we are joined today by special guest Nigel of the Mayamada crew. How you doing, Nigel? Hello. Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Nice, nice. So, um, what has everyone been up to these last two weeks? What have people been getting themselves into? Uh, we will start with the guests. We'll start with Nigel. So, Nigel, how have you been and what have you been up to? Uh, so, I've been relatively okay. Everything is now uh, <laughs> relative to 2020, um, <laughs> just in general. But, um, yeah, I've been uh, actually dealing with new interns which have joined uh, the the Mayamada crew for the next six months. Um, so... Yeah, dealing with giving direction to new people. Um, so that's been interesting. As for other things I've been up to or sort of watching or playing, um, I've been trying to play a bit more video games because um, I enjoy them and I also have a video game event and I feel it's only right I actually play some video games. Um, so I've been trying that. It's actually not been going as well as I'd like, but I have been able to play some Tomb Raider or rise of the two radar or shadow of the two radar can't for some reason has have you guys played any <laughs> of the two radar games except for well which i assume has played all of them back to front i to my shame i haven't played the last one and i can't remember whether that's rise or shadow but i've played or shadow, shadow. Sh- I, I played 2013 and whatever the second one is right which is the okay. snow one which is the snowy one the one that starts off on like a mountain where they're climbing yes yeah. the that's the third one which leon will tell you is Shadow. Is that the Thank you. That's the one I'm playing. The names yeah, confuse that's... me. I don't know why, but the names <laughs> confuse me. I have that on the PS4. Uh, the one yeah. I don't have is the one where you're in Mesoamerica. That's the third one, Shadow. So yeah, it, that's the it, one. I oh, don't okay. Have. Sorry, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm mixing them up. Yeah, why would I know what the Terminator games are? <laughs> if it starts with a crash, <laughs> it's, it's Shadow. Yeah. Cool. The one. Okay. The, yeah. <laughs> Because I know there's the one that I don't have. There's one with a boat where you start off on a boat and then you end up in an island in the South Pacific. That's 2013. Yeah. Yeah. I've got that played. That's completion. That's amazing. Um, I've got the one where you're on a mountain and then the snow and you're like, it's like surviving in extreme cold, um, which I think is like, is that Rise of the Tomb Raider, I think. That's what I and haven't then, played. Yeah. And then Shadow's the one where you, you're kind of in. Uh, Central America with all the like Aztec stuff. There we go. That's where I yeah. am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we got there. We got there in the end. So yeah, I'm playing. <laughs> uh, I'm playing that. I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm really uh, actually impressed with it because I know. So Tomb Raider, sort of being, I guess, the original sort of third person uh, action adventure, kind of taking that uh, Indiana Jones uh, sort of feel, and then Uncharted did it, and then Tomb Raider did it again. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really good. I, I kind of forgot about it uh, in a weird way, but uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying playing it. I did have some issues with 
So I've got, I got two issues with it. One is a technical issue in that the size of the text is just too small. I don't know. I don't think it's specific to this game. I think this is a next-gen or even PS4 probably uh, issue, just small text on games. Um, so it means that uh, I'm missing some things like skill upgrades. I'm just doing that randomly because I'm... Yeah, I just can't see what's going on. I'm just like picking the colors I like on that particular occasion, <laughs> just upgrading some skills. So hopefully that all turns out right. The other issue I'm having, or had, uh, it's, it's been resolved, but the there's a character that goes with you, uh, Jonah, and I was I was quite annoyed at Jonah because I had I had to fight uh, jaguars. I had to fight like two wild jaguars without his help. And he just wasn't pulling his weight. Um, yeah, I just wasn't wasn't having it. I had to like bow and arrow fight uh, Jaguar, and then Jonah somehow. I think on the first time he wasn't. He was somewhere else, and then the second time he managed to get himself trapped behind like a barricade. Like, dude, this <laughs> is. Yeah, you know, it's like this is not. It's not. And then afterwards, like I'm all scratched up, and he's trying to sort of rub some kind of ointment on my back. I'm like, no, this is, you should have been there. <laughs> no, but he 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 came through. He did come through in the end. By as you can tell, I'm still a yeah. little bit bitter. I've uh, um, I've that. been been watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, so I'm just imagining this Jonah character as Hitchcock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At that time, it was like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> just just time, Hitchcock like. from Brooklyn Nine Nine with yeah. his shirt off, just like <laughs> yeah. in the corner, just or just or, or you know maybe like the first time he was just hanging out having a cigarette and he's like I can't bother with this, just off screen or whatever. And then <laughs> why are you making it like weird? That. Just help out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's just like no, I'm not, I can't be fighting these jaguars. I, yeah, it was a whole thing. Um, but so I've been playing. That. I've also been watching uh, some Disney Plus and falcon and the winter soldier um as well so uh, i don't know what to say about that because i don't want to veer into spoilers but i did enjoy it not as much as wonder vision but i did enjoy it that seems to be the consensus right now um, yeah a lot of people are a little bit a little less hot on this than they are on wonder vision but i don't know because i like them both for very different reasons because they're both very different shows yes so it's not like you can really compare them other than the fact that they're both by Marvel. And that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I like that. And I think my theory is that because um, WandaVision was a, a different format than what you'd expect from a Marvel property, whereas Falcon and the Winter Soldier was kind of what you'd expect. So yeah. for people who... Because I, I as I was watching WandaVision, I was seeing um, sort of articles. I think there was one in like the LA Times or something. And it was written by uh the author was like a, a mom as she was saying i was watching it with my son and my son was enjoying it because it's marvel i was enjoying it because of all the references and the structure of the show and everything so i feel like that was a show that could reach out of the marvel kind of uh fan base yeah uh, whereas mm. to a not to say that falcon and the winter soldier couldn't do that but to a lesser extent i feel because it's more of what you'd expect so if you're someone who you know i'm, I'm not really hot on the marvel films anyway you're getting more of that, so you might not be, you know, as interested. But I don't think it, it yeah, I still think it was good. It was just that expectation thing. Next stop, Loki, right? Yes, Disney are yeah. trapping us. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave. Like, and then, then there's that weird MODOK show that's coming out on Hulu. Is it Hulu? Uh, right? Yeah, Hulu in America. It'll probably be 
Disney Plus still here, with, uh, maybe under Star. Oh, yeah. what show is that? Mm, they're doing a show about Modoc. Um, yeah, which is like uh, it's Modoc, so it's going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Modoc being what he is—a giant head in a chair kind of thing with like little <laughs> baby appendages. Um, there's a recent. Um, Marvel recently did a miniseries about Modoc, which is kind of cool, where Modoc is sort of like his mind is deteriorating um, and he's having delusions of having a family and things like that. And it's, it's quite a fun read. It's quite a fun comic. Um, it's, co- it's comedy. Like at its, at its core, it's a comedy, but it's also like got, got, it's got a lot of heart in it as well. So it's in, in the tradition of Marvel comedies where they always do that, where it's like, they have like the, the comedic stuff, the funny stuff, but at the same time, they kind of kick you really hard in the feels as well. Hmm. Um, and they make you like people you shouldn't like, like you shouldn't like MODOK, <laughs> but they make you feel sorry for MODOK because MODOK has, you know, he's, He's not a nice person, but you know, like there's a lot of Marvel have done this a few times now because they've done, they've done it with Taskmaster as well. Um, recently as well. They've done like these mini series about villains where they make you properly sympathize with the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. I like when they do that or just like yeah. creators in general do that. It's a good, that kind of makes a more complex story. I fully I recommend those if you can. Oh uh, Yeah. Definitely, but I, I I do fully recommend those comics if you can track them down. The Modoc one and the Taskmaster one—they're both really good. Okay. Um, I guess that's something that I've been doing recently is like reading those. Um, on top of that, Falcon and the Winter Soldier that ended this week, didn't it? it? Was the finale? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then alongside that, I've just been reading tons and tons and tons and tons of Batman in prep for. Uh, the next Nightfall episode that we're going to drop on you all. Um, <laughs> which is the bit that... This is this is going to be the bit that, like... I'm, I'm not going to say you're going to come out of it any wiser. If anything, it's, it's going to make you... It's going to make you dumber. Uh-huh. This is the bit that's going to make you dumber. So... <laughs> you don't even need to read it. <laughs> It's the equivalent of like taking four shots of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go into it with four shots of whiskey. Come out after. Come know, out with eight. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna make you stupid. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's what we do. That's what. So get ready for that because you're gonna. I think you're gonna think it's. I think you're gonna find it fun. I, I know I'm finding it fun going back through these books. But yeah. Um, so on top of that, there's. Um, Oh, uh, there's a, a, a podcast called Last Podcast on the Left that I've been checking out, and they did this really good series of episodes about Alcatraz and all the escapes from Alcatraz and everything else, which was kind of fun. So that was cool. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been my two weeks. Ray, what have you been up to? Because we've not had you on here for a while now. Yeah, it's been a month since I've been on. Yeah. And in that time, I've been caning some games, actually. I've been, I played Diablo 3 with some colleagues. I played a new, like, tile-based, uh, really chill sort of um strategy game called dwarf romantic i put a bunch of hours into i played this weird monty python-esque sort of everything looks like a renaissance painting but come to life point and click adventure called the procession to calvary which is really funny um i started near replicant which came out the other day i finished uh control i did a replay of that because it was on psn plus i finished oh, yeah. uh miles morales which 
it, the control is so good. Like, um, I for my birthday, I bought myself the uh, the making of book, uh, which I haven't got around to like reading properly, but it's. I was expecting an art book, and it turned out to be like a really good deconstruction of the the full process of like conception to you know creation to pitching it to different producers and this and that and like one of the best making of documents I've uh, I've ever like not quite finished reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I also have like Gravity Rush two. I put a bunch of hours into, but I want to I want to save that until I've actually got the space to commit to it on its own. So yeah, lots of video games. Um, and then same with you guys. A uh, bunch of Disney Plus. Like I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, they were complaining. Like I got Disney Plus so that I could watch. Um, I forgot what film. Milan maybe. And then he's like, "Well, I wanted to cancel it, but then One Division came on. And then I wanted to cancel it, but then The Falcon and the yep. Winter Soldier came on." And I was like, "And he was complaining, saying I just I can't it can't seem to leave the platform." I'm like, "Did you think that was an accident? <laughs> like that's yeah, exactly. purely by design. <laughs> like they've got you. They've um they've got their needle in your arm. <laughs> like um." <laughs> it's hilarious because i similarly feel the same way because i haven't paid for the full year but you mentioned loki i don't think i'm committed enough to that story to save my disney plus subscription i might cancel it now that uh falcon and the winter soldier's over but you know somebody else can convince me yeah maybe (laughs) it's not just that because there's there's going to be more marvel tv and then there's going to be other stuff you know it's well that's the thing like i still haven't got around to watching um Mandalorian, and I'm wondering what the cost-benefit ratio is of keeping Disney yeah. Plus and just watching Mando, which I'm not but, that invested in Star Wars. You, I think the the next big thing that I'd be willing to come back for is Ms. Marvel. Uh, and where I'm are you really going to sure get? Where are you going to get your animal documentaries when you can't sleep? <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> we'll, YouTube will suffice for that. Touche. <laughs> Touche, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Floss that argument. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's 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 me. Yeah. So, Leon, how about you? What's been your two weeks? Uh, I, I think the cutoff happened before, so I think I have already spoken about Godzilla vs Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, since then, um, another HBO Max Warner Brothers release has come out. Uh, this little video game property from the 90s that you may remember called Mortal Kombat. <laughs> oh, you actually watched that? Yeah, I've seen Mortal Kombat. Oh, nice. Or more, Mortal Kombat! Sorry, I can't. I can't do it. I can't not yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you you've got, you got to put your back into it. Yeah. Like if, you, if you're not almost fatality in yourself trying to do it, then you're not doing it properly. <laughs> Um, but yeah I watched that and um, it's interesting it's interesting because I think like it's highly inspired by like the new games which is cool before you give your verdict on it I want to get the quick verdict so quick verdict Leon get over here or get out of here get over here nice okay (laughs) I feel like you've done a Voigtkamp test on me Proven I'm not a replicant (laughs) or a Cylon or or whatever. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah. But yeah, it's. It it takes inspiration from like the newer games. So, like, starting from like Mortal Kombat 9, which is just called Mortal Kombat, and then Mortal Kombat 10 and 11. Feels like it's in in that uh, type of continuity where. 
it's going like into deep lore with uh, these new like the new origins of these characters and stuff and that that stuff's cool and it's got all this like like references to the stuff and like if there's a Mortal Kombat line that you know even being tangentially um, aware of Mortal Kombat you're going to hear it in this movie um, <laughs> but like it, it's a weird one because so I went into this expecting like a hard R uh, like bear and popcorn movie, and it is kind of, but I think it, the movie's hurt a little bit, or maybe a lot by like all this setup that it has to do, and they like introduce like a there's a character surrogate, so who's not in the games, so they have to set up all this stuff and then set up all the stuff to do with the different Earth realms and stuff. There's so much setup, and I feel like in the '90s one, they didn't give a crap about that. There is setup in that movie. But they they just kind of embrace the silliness. Like I feel like there's less winking in that movie because they're just like whatever. Uh, but like in this movie, there's a lot of like that's a silly name. It's not spelt that way and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, like <laughs> I understand that, but I I almost feel like that's a um, a thing from five years ago where it's like yeah, it's silly that people dress up in costumes. I feel like we've gone through that like past the Rubicon and now we're like. We just accept it. I mean, you throw on the CW and it's people wearing bad cosplay in these shows. Like, I, I feel like you just, you kind of invest to a certain degree where it's like, yeah, that looks silly, but whatever, it's the thing. So it's kind of, it's kind of annoying when they keep, keep uh, winking and stuff like that. But like, uh, just like in the original film, Kano is just fun because he's just, uh, he's just a foul mouthed Australian, basically. <laughs> uh, just commenting on everything. Um, but, like, yeah, the action scenes are cool. Um, and, like, they've got actually really cool, like, uh, martial artists in a lot of these main roles. Um, so, like, yeah, the fight choreography is pretty good. It it, it succumbs to that Hollywood uh, editing a lot less. So instead of lots of choppy cuts, you do get a lot a mix of, like, mids and long shots while people are doing stuff. And, yeah, like, there is, there is some brutal violence in there. But I feel like it's not enough. I feel like... <laughs> If you're doing Mortal Kombat, you should just just go in. Uh, like you need to like just really just go in, just like screw it and just like go go ham, because those latest games in 4K HDR, you are like ripping uh, people's like spines out and stuff and shredding them in two, and you can see all the organs and stuff. Like you might as well just lean into it a bit more. And this this movie is brutal in that way, but there's there's so much build up to that bit. Um. That like I wish they just just started there instead of being like let's get the get the gang together, um, but I won't go into spoilers. But there is there's a fundamental thing about this movie to do with the title that is kind of like what the hell, but I'll leave that to people to decide. So uh, I I'm not giving it a recommendation, but if you truly don't care, have a couple beers and watch it. Yeah, man. <laughs> Um, so, so it, it is get over here and not get out of here, then, right? Yeah. Just to re, yeah, cool, nice. Definitely get so, over no, here. Yeah. So, um, I just wanted to alert you guys. I've just dropped this in the um, the communal chat, so we can all see the same poster I'm looking at. But I wanted to alert you guys to the fact that the asylum are back. Because uh, you were talking about, um, you briefly mentioned because we we talked about this last time, last episode. Um, Leon talked about Godzilla versus King Kong. 
Well, the asylum are back with the greatest of all time, ape versus monster. <laughs> not, not a second wasted. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, it drops on the second of May if you're interested. So there you go. Um, That's a lot so more muted than their previous titles, which are like Mega Shark and Giant Octopus and stuff, right? Like Ape versus Monster sounds pedestrian <laughs> by by those standards. It does. It's like they're not even trying, like. Ape is like okay, so so this is what we're gonna do now. Okay, so we've just we've had Godzilla versus uh, King Kong. It's like I can imagine there was like a group of like people up all night in that room trying to figure out what they should call this film with like a flip chart, and it gets to like six o'clock in the morning, and people are just sprawled out asleep across chairs on the tables, um, empty coffee cups everywhere. And then someone just kind of just like wakes up and just screams, I've got it, and just grabs a Sharpie and just draws Ape <laughs> versus Monster in the biggest letters possible on that flip chart. I'm and like then a that's three what day bender. Right? Yeah, that's, that's what they go with. Three days locked in a meeting room with a flip chart. In fact, maybe that should be the film. <laughs> It'd be like 12 Angry Men, like that kind of situation. <laughs> but, 12 um, Angry Men slash Saw, like locked in the room. 12 apathetic marketing directors or something like that you could call it like i don't know but yeah you cannot leave well actually it could be like saw yeah you cannot leave until you've come up with a title for this film on a little tv in the corner like some big faceless executive or whatever in charge of the company or i don't know but yeah it's my nightmare anyway but yeah uh eight versus monster so yeah Check it out <laughs> if you're into asylum films. Um, so I guess uh, we should get into the uh, the reason that we've got Nigel on here. Like, so I mean, obviously this is a comics cast, and Nigel is making a comic. In fact, Nigel has already made a book. Um, a so yeah. yeah, so this is going to be. Um, so you made you made a, a manga called Serious. Yes. And what well, you're doing now is you're... that was the one that I technically didn't make. So, oh, so yeah, Sirius is one of the uh, stories in the My Matter universe that was started by myself and my co-founder Lau, who is no longer in uh, the business, but he wrote Sirius. So I'm taking that ah. over and continuing. Yeah. It. Okay, so you're 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 now writing Sirius Volume Two which is called Through the Fog, and you've recently had a successful Kickstarter campaign for that, and it's fully funded. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We, uh, so we, we ran a Kickstarter in the, in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, it was successful, then began to sort of make it uh, as you do. Then, um, obviously, sort of pandemic <laughs> didn't stop, uh, so that kind of slowed things down. Uh, so, and then the story has ended up being twice as long uh, as the... 24 pages i originally thought it would be but is a i feel is a better story than the one i was originally planning i mean same story just been able to think about it a bit more and uh take a bit more from the pandemic so actually i should explain even that the the story itself is a pandemic story um so the maya matter brand is a television network universe where each of the the manga style comics that we make are shows on the network 
So we just did that because we just had different ideas and it, we needed something that would allow us to come up with different ideas, but still make sense in the context of a brand. So we've done a, a few stories, uh, Samurai Chef, Hot Lunch, Series Volume 1. Uh, we had planned a uh, another story, 11th Hour, which I'd begun writing last year, and then the pandemic. So uh, I thought I'd take the... I keep saying the word inspiration, but for lack of a better word, so inspiration from the pandemic to make a story where the characters in Sirius would have to face uh, face up to and deal with a pandemic-like situation in their world. And because Sirius is a story of a uh, sort of young entrepreneur, uh, sort of with heavy creative license, kind of mirrors our own uh, journey. But uh, yeah, so I thought it'd be interesting to put in some of the things that I had experienced and felt into the story with these characters. So give us the rundown, like for our listeners. So give us the, the kind of like the pitch for Sirius. So what, what is Sirius actually about? Like what is the, uh, give us the lowdown on, on what is Sirius actually about first of all? Yeah. So Sirius is an underdog story, uh, technically under rabbit because the main <laughs> character Blake is a rabbit uh, and all our characters are anthropomorphic uh, animal characters. Um, but it's an underdog story. So the idea of the, the little guy sort of taking on the kind of big dreams. So Blake is from a, a small, um, yeah, small neighborhood called Serveton. So small, not very um, sort of uh, privileged, but he has this dream of becoming a sort of business mogul. So he starts off with a, a friend, uh, his friend Cassie, uh, and they're selling mobile phone cases. Cassie is then taken away by her family to the big city called the Jungle because that is where she is. She's from, and Blake has to kind of start again. Um, but he meets a, a mentor and is given encouragement and help to sort of pick up uh, different people from neighbouring uh, areas to build a new team uh, and then prove themselves to get to the Jungle so they can uh, become sort of business successes so the idea is that after the volume one story this story is um yes blake having to deal with the the uh the business that they've they've set up uh, they think it's going a certain way and uh, then all their plans are then dashed uh when this uh mysterious uh pandemic this fog-based pandemic uh hits them and they have to deal with it both professionally, like as a sort of business and as entrepreneurs, but then also personally. So uh, I, I wanted to sort of highlight some of the different yeah, personal aspects of what people go through uh, in in times like this, but then also show that, you know, there are still positive outcomes and lessons that can be had even in the situation like the one we're, we're going through. Nice. So I'm just going to apologize quickly because I had it in my mind that you wrote volume one as well. Oh, um, yeah. No, no, no. That's fine. Yeah. I, I wrote the rest. So that's right. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So when we started, like, Laura and I came up with a, a bunch of ideas. Um, yeah. And yeah, the ones that I, I wrote, we started with. And then, yeah, he did that. And then there was another one, 11th Hour, which he was going to write. But I'm now taking over that one. So that one's slightly different because there was no story, just a bunch of notes, which I'm sort of reformatting, whereas serious, we had a story. So I'm having to kind of work out the characters and how they would continue on, the personalities, that kind of thing. Cool. I've always interested in how, like, you know, when you get like creative teams um, mm. on particular comics in how one person picks up where another person leaves off. 
So say you've yeah. got one person who's writing Superman and then they leave it for the next person to come in and take over. So I guess that's the job you're having to do yeah. now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I hadn't properly thought of that. But yeah, it's kind of someone's <laughs> established these characters, who they are, what they're about. And then you're kind of having to, yeah, pick it up and sort of continue, yeah. expand. But then also add your add your own kind of view or spin not not quite spin because they are i like to think they're quite they're still consistent with uh what we've established but still put your yeah. own ideas into that yeah so it's like you have, have this... like your own like voice that you know that will come from. yeah and i i think that's more so with the 11th hour because there wasn't a story before so that one uh that one i've definitely i'd say reshaped uh, again, it's still the same characters we had intended, uh, roughly the same sort of overall story, but certainly the character motivations and some of the things that happen in the story, uh, that were more so than serious. I've, like, reshaped. Um, does Loud know that? Have I told him that? Yeah, he knows. He knows. I've, uh, <laughs> uh, I've let, him, let him know where it's going. Uh, something just popped into my head as you, because you mentioned the, the idea of, like, the creative team and... Uh, I sort of touched on it earlier, but uh, because we have interns that are joining us, uh, two of them are specific to the the manga, the comic side of things. So one is uh, supporting like the writing and another with concept art. And that's a new thing. Uh, both are new things. So having someone else sort of other than Lao input on the, uh, the writing and then also having someone produce uh, concept art. So our team is like, uh, myself, so I sort of create the idea for the stories, write the stories, but we have an illustrator uh, and a story editor, but we've never had the the stage of like developing concept art like in any proper way because I can't draw, <laughs> and um, so having someone to explore ideas like visually early on is another new thing for me that uh, definitely is like beneficial. It's just something I'm learning and doing in this story and then working on uh, the next one while they're here with us. Yeah. Um, I particularly like the design of Jin. So I'm just <laughs> looking through the characters now for serious. And I think Jin is really cool looking. Um, I like, I like this almost like plague doctor thing he's got going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is that kind of like, is a bit, uh, probably like mercurial is the, the word. Um, I'm trying to add some like, magician energy to him because he's like you know, that mysterious thing they don't quite yeah. know all about him and he's kind of because he's cloaked so he's not, not everything is known about him he's gonna reveal yeah. things at the moment they're needed he's like a mentor character because um i mean i've read i was checking out the preview pages oh yeah um, that you've got up on the kickstarter so if anyone's interested in seeing uh what this is i mean you can go check it out you can buy is volume one available now Yes, yeah, volume yeah, one is yeah. available. Volume one's still available. Uh, you can buy that through the MyMoto uh, website, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, on the Kickstarter, you can check out the preview pages as well, which are pages from volume one. Yes, yeah. yeah. So you give you an yeah. idea of uh, what the story's about and these, these characters yeah. as well. And um, so, like, what is, like, as a writer, how do you kind of, like, go about, um, putting together a script for somebody like so how do you do it because everyone has a different style do you write like mm. a full page of prose or do you break it down into I want this to happen in this panel and then this panel or do you let your artist deal with all of that um, yeah to a certain point I let the artist deal with it so the way I, I work is once I got the the story idea 
and and to be fair, we're still working through the original ideas we had yeah. like uh, so long ago now when we first started. But uh, so what I like to do, I like to think of like what is the story about, like what is the the point, what is the the message, and then sort of build from there uh, and put that in the characters. So once I've got an idea of what the story is about, <clears throat> then it's a case of like what happens. So I will work on an outline document. So I will sort of create a, like we work in, in Google Docs, so I'll create a Google Doc and just like, here's a story, here's the kind of the backstory, um, here are the main characters and this is what they, this is what they want, uh, this is what they kind of need because uh, those can be two different things uh, and this is, you know, kind of their features and uh, creating character sheets as well, so like designing the characters um, and setting them setting them up. And then I'll break a story down into chapters, essentially. So there aren't any actual chapters in, you know, finished work, but in terms of, uh, in my mind, like as I'm writing, I'll break it down into chapters. So this is what happens in this part. Um, this is the, the background, like reference material, images, now concept art. Um, and then that just allows me to sort of structure the story. So I'm, I'm really big on like structuring story. So I know what happens from beginning, middle to end, um, with the knowledge that it will likely uh, change, but at least you've got that kind of structure so I can put in those important points. So um, in the middle, uh, so in the beginning, leading to the middle and, and sort of the resolution at the end, so I can reorder things um, and then everyone can see, as, see it come together, uh, and particularly for our artist, so she knows what's coming uh, later down the line when it's time to sort of illustrate it. Um, so once, you know, we're in a good position there, I'll then write a separate document uh, for the script. And I'm kind of weird because, uh, and before I say this, I should say, I so I used to be a software engineer. And it's probably the reason why my script is a spreadsheet, which is not normal <laughs> in, um, <laughs> in storytelling. Um, I have yeah. used like script in software before, but just, yeah, we just happen to be like a spreadsheet. It, it kind of... Uh, helps me because with comics it's slightly different in that you only have so much you can fit on a page and putting it in a spread spreadsheet allows me to sort of add those constraints so i'm not going overboard with text so in the outline document i can write you know a whole kind of here's what's happening and then i'll pick out the this is the exact action these are the exact uh, bits of dialogue that each character says and make sure roughly speaking that we break it down into this number of pages for this chapter here's who does and says what. And then at that point, those will go to the artist. And there's where I like I say, okay, now I've told you the story. Now you tell me back the story, if that makes sense. So she then takes that, interprets that, in, and then puts together like draft sketches of the comic, um, which is really cool because then I, like I say, I get to see the story told back again but in a different way because it's been in my, my mind and in my words, but then I've seen it visually and then I'll, I'll discover. So that gives room for interpretation. So she'll do things in the characters that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily see that way, but uh, I like it because that's the what I was going for overall. And then we can, you know, go back and forth and change it. So yeah, there is a bit of room for interpretation. Then once we're happy, then we, uh, or she, um, sort of inks and uh, does you know, finish up the lettering uh, and then, yeah, make sure it's all kind of grammatically correct, everything makes yeah. sense and it's uh, good to go. 
So this is your artist Pinali. Yes. And yeah. and she does that. She does the lettering as well. Then yeah. Yeah, she does everything. Awesome. Yeah. Everything yeah. you can see. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. does. I'm nice. fascinated by your use of spreadsheets. Like as an analyst myself, I uh, I'm constantly thinking in terms of like matrices, and I like setting up my my ideas and thoughts into that same sort of cell structure. So I'd love to see how yeah. you how you format that kind of stuff. Like, do you have different columns for different actions, or like for example, if you had one one element on a page would that be one row of data which is then like or one row of information yeah. or whatever and then nested with different actions on each new column or like different dialogue lines like, yeah really- so different dialogue lines on on each column so it'll be like a so from the outline i've got the chapters i'll then take like the chapters and um if i if i think a chapter is four pages uh then i'll roughly do four rows maybe five depending on how my how many words are in that uh, section um, and then yeah so each row is like an action and then each column is like uh, yeah bits of dialogue or sort of um, a visual kind of cue for something where you know someone might not say something but we need to focus on something for a bit so that actions later on make sense that kind of thing that's fascinating I would love to see an example of, of that at some point in the future <laughs> Yeah, I should put yeah. that in yeah on the websites or somewhere. Yeah, just a, a few examples of like our <laughs> uh, our spreadsheet script. Yeah, just as an example of like how there's different modes of thought and how there's different presentation styles or different ways of mm. pr- laying out your ideas. I think that's really useful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I got into like doing this podcast about comments is because I like getting into the cogs of it, and I like I like hearing and seeing how other people work. Mm. Like, I'm I'm a real like like Ray when you were talking about your making of book at the beginning of this like i'm a real stickler for like you know if i get the chance to see like back matter in in uh graphic novels or collections where you get to see like concept sketches and things like that i really love that stuff like bonus yeah. stuff's great i've got more of a, an appreciation for that now um mm. because it's like okay now i can see how someone else kind of makes it and what goes into it uh so I, again i sort of already mentioned the concept art uh intern and and sort of having that added to the process it's like oh i mean they just started like this past week but just seeing where that can go and like okay we can actually rather than it, it yeah. to a certain extent just coming straight from my head to the page to the artist is like okay we're gonna yeah. test this idea we're gonna see what it looks like oh actually maybe we can do tweak this thing here or that over there and then kind of go through so it's like a better story yeah that's the that's the theory in a way nice um I just want to say as well, like, I really do like the art style that you guys use. Um, Penali's art is like, it, yeah. it looks really energetic and it has this like really nice bounce to it. And the yeah. manga styling and everything else, like, it's, it's just full of energy. It's so clean and sharp as well. Yeah, and, I know. It's like yeah. manga-ish, <laughs> I like to say. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, has, it has that cleanness about it and it has that, mm. that like, because um, there's a thing that manga, that manga does that, that, traditional western comics don't do and the manga is always more kinetic yeah so when you compare a page from a manga and a page from a traditional western comic you'll always find that the pages are a little more static on the western side of things because they have it's um the manga the manga comics focus more on the doing and the actions mm. in the way that they they illustrate things and it's a lot more energetic and a lot more kinetic um, and you guys seem to have nailed that quite well. Um, and it's, yeah, the, back to the character design. 
once again because I just love gin. He's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is. Uh, I yeah. can't even remember how Lau thought it because, like, when we so each of us will will create a story and then we'll have a think of the characters and we'll yeah. sort of we would go back and forth between us. I'm trying to remember exactly what he was thinking when he thought of Jin uh, because there's certain characters that Lau has created, like Jin being one, and for a different reason, uh, Norio in our eleventh hour story. I remember seeing I'm like yeah that's a that's a character <laughs> there because it's just I think like for one the like the silhouette of a character yeah. um yeah. And I think in Jin's case is quite unique uh, and then in the story his just his mannerisms again that's sort of down to the work of Penali and uh love for writing and setting that up and just him as a uh yeah just a bit of a random sort of mysterious character who, who looks interesting because like there must be a story there <laughs> yeah. Um, and like then getting to delve into that and, and how much of the story do we bring out? How do you uh, bring it out? And how does that, uh, how is that reflected? I will say in a new story, there is a, <laughs> there's a costume change for Jin. I'm trying not to spoil the oh. story, but <laughs> there's a costume. So I was trying to, um, yeah, see how I can make that a funny kind of costume change, yeah. but still make it relevant. It will still be relevant to like what's happening in the story. Cool. Cool. So, just to round this off as well, um, like a nice fun one for you. How do you decide what character is what animal? Like, what what's the thought process behind that? Oh yeah, that's a good question actually. So so the easiest one is the the characters who are real people who we've turned into characters in the story. Um, so in in every yeah. volume that we've done, there is at least one real person who we've turned into into a uh, into character. In in serious, actually, it's um it's a pet. So we met a this is uh, many years ago, but like a, a young kid, uh, I guess he's not so, so young now, but he would uh, sort of come to our store, like comic conventions uh, with his mum. And I remember he, he got the story and he got serious. Um, and he sent us a picture of his, uh, I think it's like an iguana, but it had passed, uh, but he wanted it to, to be a character. So we turned it into a character uh, in, oh. in series. So oh. those ones are kind of easy because it's either a, you're working from a photo of a pet or a person. And then I mm. always let the person pick what animal. Um, as for uh, the non-real uh, people uh, that we've turned into characters, it kind of goes to, because they are animal characters, uh, like we as humans sort of put on sort of certain traits onto animals, like depending on how they look or their characteristics. So what that does is it allows, uh, it allows us to then say, are we going to go sort of with a character type or against? So, for example, with something like Samurai Chef, the the sort of quick premise is that it's a cooking show on the Mind Matter Network where the chef judges food by attacking it with a samurai sword and then the food is turned into monsters and starts fighting back. Um, so it's an action comedy thing going on. But the main character, the Samurai Chef, is a super serious uh, character. Like, he's just there to uh, professional doesn't mess about does his job to a high level that barely even talks so when i was thinking of that uh that character is a monkey and i wanted to go against the character type because it's an action comedy so monkeys we think of as energetic as very noisy uh, and and funny uh, and this is just the opposite character <laughs> so that was a thinking for that but then you can kind of go with the character type so in um in the 11th hour, I mentioned a character called Norio, and Norio is a, a tanuki or raccoon dog. Uh, so he's quite uh, so, uh, soft, cuddly, 
um, kind of look to him. Um, and that goes with the character because he's a, he's a character that in this story, he will be sort of the, the one who's not quite sure of himself. So in, in many anime or uh, manga, you get characters who are kind of introverted, uh, shy. Um, so we wanted a character or an animal type that would reflect that character because that's very much what we wanted to present. So it kind of depends on what we want to present and then whether we want to go sort of with the characteristics uh, of an animal or we can sort of go yeah. against that. Okay, that's kind of cool. Um, and uh, finally... Just wanted to ask you. So, when when is uh, is this vo- is volume two going to be finished? When is series volume two going to be finished? <laughs> yeah, that is another good question because uh, I thought it'd be finished in December. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, so it will be sort of end of end of spring, early summer. We're now at a point where the story's written and we're starting the artwork. So, the the great thing about sort of working so long uh, as we have with Penali is that we kind of we understand you know the working pattern so i know that once the the story's done and she's mapped out the artwork then it's just getting through the pages uh doing the editing and all that so we can predict a bit a bit better um so probably by i think by june uh, early june we'll have it sort of in print and uh available the, the difficult part was writing it <laughs> for various reasons but we're we're at a good point uh right now yeah nice so um that is uh, series volume two through the fog and um you can catch up on all the previous my Mada stories at mymada.com um where i mean you can check out their shop and they've got all their previous uh work available for you to check out and peruse and if you go to the um the you can look for the serious kickstarter um which is where you can find all the information about serious volume two and everything else and uh yeah, just keep an eye out for that because uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so on from there, it's today's review comics. Um, so we're going to kick this off with one that I have read, which is The Old Guard Tales Through Time. Uh, we love a bit of Old Guard here at uh, Ace Comicals. Me and Leon did a whole episode about the movie. And... Um, what I'm here to talk about today is an anthology series which follows the um, follows the follows the separate characters, kind of fleshes them out a little bit more, gives you more to kind of think about um, character wise, and uh, yeah, so it's another chance to spend some quality time with some really really amazing, interesting characters. Um, so. If I just give you the blurb here from the image website. So this is a star-studded anthology event, the best-selling, critically acclaimed The Old Guard, now a hit Netflix movie starring Charlize Theron, returns with an all new with all new stories by writers Greg Rooker, uh, Vita Ayala, Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Matt Fraction, David F. Walker, and more, and artists Leandro Fernandez, Horatio Altuna. Rick Burchett, Valentine DeLandro, Justin Greenwood, Kano and Nicholas Scott and more. So um, in volume one, this is uh, Andromache the Scythian or Scythian, uh, a warrior over 6,000 years old. So this is Andy. We know her as Andy, um, who has fought more battles than she cares to remember and kept, has kept one constant companion through her long lifetime of combat, her Labrys. Andy's battle axe takes many forms and many lives 
in its centuries at her side in a story told uh, by the old guard creators, Greg Ruka and uh, Leandro Fernandez. And then in the second story in this book, because what they've done is they've split it in two. So you've got two stories. One's about Andy. The second one is about Nicolo uh, Di Genova and uh, Joe, uh, Yusuf Al-Kaisayani. Um, lovers, since they tried and failed to kill each other in the First Crusade, uh, spend an evening at Berlin's famed El Dorado nightclub in the twilight era of 1932, sharing drinks with drag queens and fist-fighting Nazis in an all-new story by writer Andrew Wheeler and uh, Jacopo Camagni of Nomen Omen. So yeah, it's uh, it's quite cool, and there's some quite quite interesting, cool stories going on here. So, um, yeah, it's it's an anthology type deal. Numerous tales from the extremely extended lives of our main cast. Uh, Bar Nile, she's a baby by comparison to the rest of them. Um, if you know anything about the uh, the old guard books, Nile is the youngest recruit. Um, the most recent one. She's uh, the movie follows the first five issues i think which is like the first kind of arc of the old guard and uh nile is introduced in the netflix movie as well she's the one that joins them as the new character um if you i mean if you go back through i'm i'm, I'm talking really go back and sift through the sands of time on ace comicals you'll be able to find the first time we talk about the old guard which is a ways back now um i can't remember what episode that's in <laughs> but yeah um so i i mean so alongside it's yeah my my favorite story here is is got to be the one about Andy. Um I mean I love Andy as a character. She's by far the most interesting of the bunch as far as I'm concerned because she's the oldest. Um she's been around the longest. She's seen the most changes in history. She's the one that I would be most interested in knowing more about in her overextended life and all the things that she's been through and seen being like 6,000 years old or whatever. And, um, as always in this story, like Leandro's art is killer. It's gorgeous. It lends itself to the writing perfectly. Um, this awesome trip through history that we get here where with the ax that Andy wields, like there's no quit in her quest to maintain the only constant throughout her ageless continued extended existence. Like, I mean, it's humorous, it's cool in places, it's heartwarming. It's just, it's basically like stubborn Andy holding out, not giving up, being stubborn about this axe. Just like recounting all the times that she's had it repaired and parts on it replaced. And it's that whole thing where like, so you've had that many things about it fixed and replaced and changed. Is it still the original axe? Well, in Andy's eyes, it is. It's still her mother's axe. And she won't have anyone tell her otherwise, including Niall. Um, they're having a, a training session on the beach and um, it's like, it comes after like a sparring session on the beach. She get she asks, Niall asks her about the ex and this is where this comes from. They sit down and they start talking about it and we get flashbacks um, and it's her mother's ex and she will not hear otherwise. <laughs> and that's really cool. I love it. Like there's, there's some beautiful color work here, especially with the beach and the sunset scenes and like there's some great paneling, like these, dancing shadows as they're training against this sunset sparring on the beach it's really cool i mean and what a wonderful way to expand a story with an anthology and adding color and getting to explore such fertile ground as the lives of these characters because they have been around so long and and like what a nice thing to begin with as well like andy's labrys like 
and and like uh, in as, as heartwarming as it is, it's also kind of sad because she's been around for six thousand years, and the only thing that she's got that has been a constant in those six thousand years is the fact that she's carried this labyrinth. But by the end of it, even the labyrinth isn't the same labyrinth because she's had that many things replaced and repaired on it. But in her mind, she you know that is still her mother's axe even though there's no way on earth it can still be her mother's axe. But yeah, it's, um, it's kind of sad, kind of, kind of funny if you look at it from another angle, like the stubbornness of Andy, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a nice story. It kicked me in the feels that one did. Um, the next one is Joe and Nikki in Nazi Germany, which uh, we already mentioned. I, I, I mean, I'd love more of this sort of thing. It's like an, like a full old guard tale or arc set in world war one and world war two would be fantastic because like I can, I can fully imagine there's some real fertile ground and some real cool toys to play with there. Um, it is cool to see other creative teams taking the reins, and there's some awesome work here. Um, setting the setting being this like smoky nightclub, um, this cabaret club atmosphere, um, and there's this like absolutely amazing page, which has like a montage of events in a cloud of smoke from Joe's cigarette. Um, it's like memories in the smoke. So he's recounting all the times that they've gotten themselves into trouble um, by um, basically standing up for for human rights. If you if standing up for what they believe in, standing up for what what you know what is right, as in like all through history, with these this these two being being an openly gay couple through history. Obviously, that's gonna that's going to ruffle some feathers along the lines in certain times, in certain places. And this is basically every time these two have stood up for what's right or saved someone or protected someone and gotten themselves into trouble because of that. And this ends up being another such adventure Um, because obviously they can't stay in one place because it always ends with them doing something or, 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 I don't know, killing someone for being an asshole. And then they have to, (laughs) they have to go on the run. (laughs) So that's what they're having. They're having this like little discussion in this nightclub and all these like, there's like three different events that pop up in the smoke of this cigarette. And it's absolutely beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, memories in the smoke and like, I love it. Like I could talk forever about that page, but there's, there's a, there's a whole, like whole other few pages to go through. So, I mean, this also begs the question, like, because they're smoking and things. So this also raised the question in my mind. I don't know, Leon, how you feel about this being, um, knowing as much about the old guard as I probably do. Like you've read all the same things I've read. So like, can the old guard die of disease or sickness? What do you think about that, Leon? Um, I don't think so. Do they just revive from it? So if they get like, um, because if they get some kind of disease or sickness, will they come back from that? Or is that the same? I mean, is it the same kind of rules where it's like you roll the dice every time you die? Maybe you'll come back. Maybe it'll be your final time. Yeah, I, I think so. But then I think maybe part is partially like um, Logan rules where yeah. um, Wolverine, because of his like cells constantly regenerating, he probably didn't even get a cold. Um, so maybe it's like a middle ground between then where 
their their like white blood cells and immune system are really good at like fighting off things, so they generally don't get um, sick. And if they did, it'd be like a quick fever and done. But I don't think they would die for it unless it was their time. Maybe we're going to get a story about this in the anthology or something. I don't know. But it's an interesting thing that popped into my head. And I thought, like, what if plague times? Because a couple of these guys would have been alive through various plagues. Um, a good half of the cast would have lived through, um, like, the Spanish flu and things like that. I mean, they're probably living, flu- uh, living through one now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the old guard, the Corona files or something. No, but like, I would, I would love to, to see how that's handled. That's something that I, I, in my mind, that's really interesting. Like, can they live through disease? I don't know. Would they come back from that? But either way, this is a really cool opener for a nice anthology series. That's going to tell some really cool stories about some really cool characters. A question. And yeah. Um, do you think it's a good, um, like onboarding thing for people who haven't even delved or say they've just watched the Netflix movie. Um, but they haven't, they've uh, either gone online or when shops have like fully open everywhere, they've popped into a shop, seen it on the shelf in places that are still doing issues. And, um, like uh, basically saying they've jumped through all these hoops and then they've seen this issue and they pick it up. Is it a good onboarding or does it feel in, in media res for like all of the characters motivation? Um, I'd say yes, because, like, cheekily, um, this uh, issue, this, this uh, I'm just going to find where it says it, actually. I'm just flicking through the book now. But I think this takes place prior to Force Multiplied, which would be after the end of the movie or after, um, after the first arc of the comics, because the movie plays out ever so slightly differently to the books. Okay, yeah, so right at the beginning of the book, um, the story about Andy. This takes place between opening fire and force multiplied if you're the kind of person who cares about timelines. Which I, I quite like that because that's, uh, that's Greg Rooker just being like, you know, to help. I love that. I, I love that attitude. But yeah, so um, if you wanted to pick this up and read it, the first story in the book where it opens is between the first two arcs of the comic, so you could just pick it up as an onboarding point. Because everything else that happens is going to happen prior to the rest of it. Hmm. Because it's all going to be stuff that happens through history. So yeah, that's kind. Of, I, I'm. I would say yes, it is a good onboarding point, um, and I think uh, I think people should pick this up and read it. So that is the Old Guard Tales Through Time, number one, and that is published by Image Comics, uh, written by Greg Rooker. Uh, second story in there is written by Andrew Wheeler. Um, first story art is by Leandro Fernandez. The second story, the art is by, uh, Jacopo Camagni. Um, colors by Daniela Miwa and letters by Jody Wynn. Um, onwards from there, this is, uh, you guys, isn't it? Ray and Leon with the many deaths of Layla star. Yeah. Uh, so I picked up this new comic called, as you said, the many deaths of Layla star that came out on the 21st of April. Uh, it's a Boom Studios book. Uh, it's written by Ram V, illustrated by Philippe Andrade, uh, with colour assists by Inez Amaro and letters by Andwell Design. And so I've, I think I've spoken about Ram V comics a couple of times in the past. I think the first one I reviewed was Graffiti's Wall, which was 
uh, let me just check, November 2018 I reviewed it and that was uh, our episode number 49. And then I also began talking about um, an amazing series that he wrote called The Savage Shores. Uh, that was shortly after in December 2018. And like, it, this new book, The Many Deaths of Leila Star, feels like a middle ground between those two things. Where, like Graffiti's Wall, which was um, set in uh, bustling modern Mumbai, so is this one. And where The Savage Shores tackled, um, like, uh, ancient mythology uh, stemming from India... So does The Many Deaths of Leila Star. So uh, the one thing I just want to say up top um, is this book would have been jarring to read anyway at, at this time because it's set in like a populated um, populated city and those are just a weird thing to see during, you know, the Rhone Zone. But I know that the situation in Mumbai is particularly bad right now. So like it's mm. especially jarring to, to see like... I, I mean, I've only ever visited Mumbai three times in my life but like there are some familiarities there and to see to see that um these images in the comic contrasted with what i'm seeing on the news right now it's a bit disconcerting but just something to put up top um but issue number one um so it's it's a whirlwind introduction to this new story that sets up three main concepts so we have a uh, the scene of a young woman Layla star smoking on the windowsill of a skyscraper during a party contemplating suicide um, and at that same moment, we have the birth of a child who is prophesied to bring eternal life uh, to Earth. And then high above, we're shown, uh, we're shown a corporate environment meta realm where the god of death has been summoned for a meeting where she's about to be made redundant. So we're introduced to this, this god of death, only ever referred to as death, but uh, they're blue-skinned and many-armed like the goddess uh, Kali. Uh, so... I never references Kali, but I feel like there's there's something going on there. Um, rushing into an elevator in a very 80s-looking power suit, using her many arms to apply her makeup and check her bouffant hairdo. And like, there's all these other demigods in the office and the the um, uh, the elevator uh, who are equally dressed in like pinstripe suits or a shirt and suspenders and stuff. It's all this very like contemporary sort of style, not very what I would say doesn't not very Indian at all. Um, and she's been summoned by the known purveyor of all goodness, i.e. her boss, um, into what I can only describe as the most extremely tech bro office <laughs> um, of a uh, of her boss, who is barefoot, has three faces, has a lotus flower floating above his head, wears an open robe, all in contrast to, you know, the other gods who are populating that, that, that office. And he's never named as such, again, like with Kali, but he, uh, he brings to mind to my mind the supreme god brahma um who usually has four faces you know um but in in the context of this corporate office environment he sticks out just like a bit of a douchebag it's it's a really interesting like contrast and like this this douchebag corporate attitude that he has isn't helped by the fact that he tells death that she's being let go from the position of death due to restructuring and so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so death is sent to earth in a mortal body um and the shenanigans of the newly corporeal type occur. So that's the the plot in summary. And before I go on to talking about uh, the amazing artwork and the amazing coloring, uh, Leon, do you have any thoughts about like the initial setup and how how good you think this issue is as like a like an issue one, the same issue pilot TV show problem we always talk about? Hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say this. Maybe I should create a test, like a, a Leon test. That um, like and and to pass the test, 
it's got to be a thing where I feel like issue one has given me enough of a of a of a of a narrative and and story, but also with a good hook to keep me going. And I would say that this does pass the currently unnamed test that I have <laughs> um, because it's it's a really good setup and. Starting with like it opens on a page of like uh, like the Mumbai skyline and it's just uh, as you mentioned before just absolutely rammed uh, loads of traffic loads of people and it's it's like it's just a, a straight up like metropolis mm-hmm. um, and even in those early pages it manages to convey the the bustling nature, the stressful nature, the cacophony of noise, um, and th- and this is um, made even more stark because we're centered at first on a pregnant woman who's about to give birth in the middle of all this traffic, and it just compounds all that like um, stress and um, intensity. And I like the way how mm-hmm. it bounces to uh, when we first meet uh, Layla. And instantly it's different. I mean, it's still um, like Metropolis. But instead of being like on the 100th and 6th floor, it's just on the 6th floor of uh, the uh, like a education uh, building. And it's a lot more of a chilled vibe. And I feel like the contrast there is great because it does show like a level of... T- detachment with that character and I think a thing that I never really um, like a thing that stuck out to me that I really like that we'll speak about a bit more later is obviously the way how uh, like colour is used especially on characters uh, mm-hmm. and I do like how with like the human characters they're all just skin tones and stuff all, all quite naturalistic so that when we jump over to the sort of corporate afterlife of the gods um what is what is stark other than the more like uh classical skin coloring and stuff like that uh, and like the 80s shoulder pads type look is also the weird like mundanity of the supernatural Mm. where it just feels like it's the next thing so they're in this like giant structure and that feels like it could just be like thousands of floors higher than a normal corporate structure where bankers and all different types of business people are in that building. Anyway, it just feels like an extension of that built into the afterlife, which which I, I feel works quite effectively, especially with us being introduced to uh, death in an elevator. Um, and... Uh, as typical with like uh, or what I picked up from like Ram the uh, comics there's a lot of cool um, like not cutesy but really like sharp witticisms like uh, when Death finds out that uh, they're being made redundant and they're like uh, I bet Taxes still has a corner office doesn't she <laughs> and it just, just little things like that which uh, uh, they give like they give like edges and complications to characters and especially useful with like God type characters to, to, to humanize them and uh, sort of present a world where 
the afterlife is still a grind and everyone has jobs and um it's like super like instable um so like with all that and what happens later on in the book that i don't really want to go too much in detail spoiling I, I think that like as you go throughout the book like um it goes deeper into sort of the more supernatural and i love the way how all of that stuff is handled to where where the book ends is striking enough where uh it is not exactly cliffhanger but it's more a case of like there's way more story here baby and that's what i quite mm. like where it's not even a case of an action is missing and i'm like man i need to see the resolution of this but it's more a case of like late title card where it's like whoa what's next um so that's what i think this is this is effective but but like um like which like what particular element stuck out to you because i've got i got a few yeah there's so many details um that stick out like the one that i've got the page open to right now is like she's been handed in her uh or she's been told that she's being let go and she's been handed a leaflet that says a mortal world of possibilities like the place is so corporate <laughs> that like they have they have pamphlets ready and available uh, in in case this occurrence happens so it makes you wonder like how often are these demigods who are quite critical to the way that humans operate like we all die right so like why why is there a pamphlet ready to hand over to the god of death about how they can um, transition into an extraordinary life after godhood is there's so many interesting little tidbits like that but um you, you touched on the the, the color palette and like the whole book as you explained is a really intense color palette and as you said the um the divine scenes in the corporate offices of have a lot of muted flat backgrounds as you said there's a lot of airy single color spreads of like bright blues and pinks but then down on the earth scenes um i've noticed noticed that in contrast the uh, the backgrounds are full of uh, gradients of like hyper real oranges and purples and blues etc like most of the book has a very constantly set at twilight mood to it and then as you said um the way that it uh, the book ends like it's punctuated with um it's suddenly opening up into a really fresh new day palette towards the end and like we're shown a really ethereal shot of the the gateway to india at dawn and it, like it really does open up the the possibility space of the story like as you said it's the the smash the title and it's like whoa what's going to happen next and like i've it's it's a really good hook um so touching on the artwork like the art's super lovely um the the line work never to me feels static it always feels kind of left of real uh, even when they're still even when people are uh, are still on the page. Everyone looks as though they're um, posed as though they're just about to begin or have just finished moving. And everyone has this really slender, unnaturally long features to them. So there's like lots of spindly, lovingly rendered hands in this book that I really liked. And like just overall, the character designs are fantastic. And it, it, to me, it's a, it's a book that feels like home where there's lots of like just ev- everyday South Asian fashions and features and faces and like, Philippe, the illustrator, has a a fantastic ability to draw facial expressions, I find, and, like, augmented by really masterful composition and use of shadow around the eyes and stuff. And, like, um, I really like in the design that the gods aren't 
direct equivalents of what we already know from mythology. Like I was explaining earlier, like death has some of the characteristics of what we know of Kali, but isn't named as, as such. And like, I think the great thing about Hinduism is there is so much variability and shared characteristics between different deities. And like, this just feels like another contemporary extension of that. And I think that's a really interesting and probably difficult line to tread because you may offend some people's sensibilities, but I think this is quite artfully done. You guys were like asking me why I didn't check this out. (laughs) And I can't answer that question. I can't. I think you'd be like it in in the... um, like it's very Indian gods in the way that like American gods, you know, in that sort yeah. of sense. And I, I think yeah. there's you'd find a lot to enjoy in this. Um, and so uh, the, the structure of the book is really interesting as well, because uh, most of the book is broken into long horizontal slices of panels on the page, only occasionally, like throughout the entire book, only occasionally breaking into multiple like portrait sliced panels in sequence. So like it's mostly just these um, like sandwich layers uh, you know, page after page after page. And there's, um, it's quite rigid in the structure. It rarely breaks from this format. And even even the borders are only, you know, transgressed once or twice. There's one uh, particularly effective moment, which is literally about transcending or, you know, descending from the immortal plane, which works really well. Um, and then there's also a section where the pacing of the structure is used to really great effect. So there's, there's this, uh, a couple of pages where there's a first-person escape sequence. Um, and... Each uh, each moment or each like beat in that sequence is a thin panoramic view um, on the page, like a thin panoramic view from first person of um, of the flight of this person, and like you see elongated thin arms stretched ahead of our viewpoint, and it's all really kinetic and tangible. Like there's one one panel where they're running down the stairs, and their hand is gripped to the banister to fling them round the bend, and you can like really feel that, and this all leads to uh, one of my favorite page turns I've had in a long time, where. There's a large square center panel uh, filled with the crescendo to the sequence, and it's sandwiched above and below by like really quiet beats that sort of punctuate what's happening in the middle, and it's just it's really good. Um, and then just to touch on the the final few things, so like the lettering is is great, it's stellar. I don't think I've uh, seen any other work by Anwell Design, but like really good choice here because super legible and characterful. And some of the onomatopoeia is great. Like, there's a moment where we have a really foreboding scene um, of the hospital where the, like, divine eternal child is being born. And it's, like, shot from below, masked in shadow, and it almost looks like a prison. And above we see, like, Krakum in lightning letters, and it's really, really effective. Um, Yeah, I would urge you, like, even if... This is one where even if you don't know if you want to read the rest of it, like, I think it's just a really good like pilot episode really good issue one all in in and of itself and like there's so much value to be gained from just this one thing i think and whether it if it grabs you onto the next stuff then you know that would be even better so uh, i'd recommend it that's um the many deaths of Layla star boom studios uh, written by ram v illustrated by philippe andrade color assist by ines amaro and letters by Anwell design Nice. Um, so that moves us on to the next one, which is the one that you brought to us, isn't it, Nigel? So uh, you've been reading Deadly Class? Yeah. Um, actually, just wanted to just also mention, I don't know if you guys, before I talk about Deadly Class, but uh, one of the ones I did want to mention, but couldn't because I didn't get it in time, is Black Sad. I don't know if any of you guys have read that or heard of that series. I heard of it, but haven't read it. 
Okay. It's also a video game, right? Is that right? Yes, I... I didn't actually know this until like uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but yeah, it, oh, is, okay. it does have a video game. But um, I just wanted to mention it because it's quite on brand because it's an uh, anthropomorphic uh, comic series. Um, mm. But it's, uh, yeah, it's written by two Spanish authors slash artists. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce their names, but I might mess this up if you have any Spanish speakers. But... Uh, uh, Juan Diaz Canales uh, and Juanjo uh, Guanido um, and they've created like a very noir uh, definitely film noir comic series and uh, the reason I sort of came to mind is you were asking earlier about uh, characters and how to sort of how you go about picking characters and this is a so it's a very mature story but the the characters all feel very human which is funny to think of with animal characters but it kind of you get like they lean into the i say stereotypes for lack of a better word into characters um but i won't go too much into that because i haven't actually started this but i just wanted to mention that before i actually talk about the comic i've started reading uh which is uh, deadly class by um, rick remender and i say read i'm rereading so i recently got volume seven uh, then realized that it'd been such a while since I'd read uh, read one to six that I probably should just start again uh, and then catch up. So I started rereading volume one uh, and just remembering kind of a lot of the stuff that I like about uh, the comics. So this is a so it's a story about a a guy uh, called Marcus and he's I guess like an orphan. He starts off homeless. It's also set in the eighties. And he has this goal of um, uh, killing the president, Ronald Reagan, uh, who he kind of blames for his parents' death, which is an interesting uh, setup. But he finds himself in a school for assassins, um, and that just leads to... It's, it's such a weird thing, because you have this, essentially, a school setup, this like high school setup, with the highest of stakes in that, they're all assassins so you get the like the dynamic of someone entering a new school so you're meeting sort of people for the first time you're getting to know your place in this world which is sort of especially the case for someone who was previously sort of living on the streets um and who had lost his parents and sort of no sense of like belonging or future um he's now got some kind of I guess some kind of future um, assassinations. So he's learning how to do that. He's le- but he's also learning sort of which groups to get in with, which groups to avoid. Um, so you have that kind of dynamic, the sort of love triangle uh, dynamic that happens. And then also what's interesting about this school is that the the students in the school have been sent there by typically well-connected parents. Um, so high-profile parents that are sending their kids to this school to learn to be uh, assassins and you just have the the main character marcus who is just caught up in this comes from essentially nowhere has no real status and is trying to navigate this world so yeah i, I really like the the premise and where the kind of situations he gets themselves into he's a bit of um he makes some bad decisions um so i haven't gone all the way through my reread but uh he's in the process of starting to make his first sort of bad decisions and i do remember 
uh, it's just a kind of a series of him dealing with the bad decisions that he's making. Uh, so, yeah, I like it from that perspective and just some of the different characters that uh, you see and the cultures that they bring in from the characters. So you've got, um, again, it's like Marcus being the sort of American teenager. You have uh, sort of Mexican gangs within the school. Uh, you have like African-American uh, gangs. There's, yeah, it, it's like definitely a class of, clash of cultures all within this high school dynamic, which is really uh, interesting to to see. Um, and in, in terms of the other thing I like about this is like just the visuals of it. Uh, so it's very, like we've spoken about sort of kinetic sort of comics in manga and, uh, and other things that have been mentioned. And this kind of fits that in the way that the the panels are laid out. So it does the thing where you have a page and that page will be broken up uh, into multiple panels. So there's no, there's not necessarily movement panel to panel. Like it's broken up a scene into different panels, but then the characters will move across that, um, across that scene from one panel to next, if that makes sense. So you'll get like, um, there's a scene early on where Marcus is being chased uh, by police. He's being uh, saved by uh, the person who's about to recruit him into this uh, assassin, the school for assassins, and they're on a motorbike. So they're, you know, it's very like uh, quick turns. And then there's a scene where they turn a corner and you'll see the, the street, the corner that they turn split between sort of four panels um but the there's no movement in the the environment but the characters move through the scene uh, and then you it does the sort of, yeah the sort of dynamic angles um and all that with the characters so it's just a constant sense of movement and it feels kind of like watching just watching an action film uh in in some points just the way that it, it sort of at least in my mind, it's projected into my mind. Um, it also plays well with colours. So it's a very like dark uh, story in terms of the actual story itself uh, and the colours that it uses. But then there's a lot of contrast. So it will go from sort of dark blues uh, for things taking place at night. Uh, you'll see like move, moving it to purples, to uh, yellows, to blues and greens depending on what's happening. So, yes, yeah, very, it's a lot going on without too much going on. And it just gives you that sense of constant movement. Yeah, has anyone read this series or know of it? So I have, well, I never finished it. I read the, for the first few trades many, many moons ago. And, um, yeah, I can echo everything <laughs> you're saying. Um, it's, it's very kinetic, very dynamic in terms of its its action structure, um, the the use of like um, like color palettes, but also um, sort of color theming is is a really cool thing that um, yeah that ran throughout, which um, did a good job of matching mood um, as well as character. I thought. Um, and like I really like the the construction of the whole thing, and well, basically everything you've touched on already. But like the um, 
the interpersonal relationships between a lot of the main characters uh, gets messier and messier yeah. in, in a really interesting way. That's a good word. Yeah, it, yeah, it does uh, gets messier. And like I say, uh, Marcus, I, I feel does continue to make not the best decisions. Sometimes that you know it's sort of out of, out of his control. Uh, he's certainly put in situations. So uh, as part of the school, there's a uh, headmaster, as uh, Master Lin, who yeah is, is putting these students through sort of trials to prove themselves um, as they sort of work their way to becoming these assassins. Now, so Marcus is then sort of reacting to situations that he's he's put in, but he also makes some bad decisions. Nice. So um, that is, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's something that's been on my list for a long time. And there's a Netflix series now as well, isn't there? Was it Netflix? Oh, it yeah. was, was sci-fi. It? I don't think it was yeah. Netflix. It was, um, yes, sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have not watched that only because I, is it it's unfair? Just when I, sometimes, you you know, when things get adapted, mm. you just assume it's going to be bad. Uh, and I did, and I did that and I didn't watch it, but I think that's probably unfair uh, yeah. to it. So at some point I should watch it because I really It's really well cast from what comment. I've seen. I believe Benedict Wong is the headmaster in there. So it's like, Yes. Yeah, so oh, really you're right. Well, yeah. well cast, but like, um, I was like gonna check it out, and I thought I'd leave it uh, and check it out later, and then I think it got cancelled in between season one and two. But it's something yeah. that I would like dip in, like especially after having like read the book. I think it'll be interesting to see how they've adapted it and what they've decided to keep and what they've decided to to change. I need to read the book. <laughs> I need to watch the show. You had me at Benedict Wong. I highly recommend it's, it. You had me at Benedict Wong. You yeah. had me at Benedict Wong. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just me like looking at the the comic and the TV show, like having not read anything. I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. No, yeah. Um. So I mean, like, this is something where it's like the, the of the piles and piles and piles of things that I read. There's always like a never-ending scroll of names of things that I've not picked up yet and this is something that's on that scroll somewhere mm. i always feel ashamed of myself when people bring things up and i'm like i've been meaning to read that but i don't know why that is i don't know where that comes from but yeah <laughs> yeah um it happens so yeah uh that was deadly class and that was written by rick remender artist wes craig colorist lee luffridge letters by russ wooden and edited by sebastian gurner who's uh the um, the figure responsible for TKO Comics and uh, the um, the thing that we're very excited about the return of uh, Scales and Scoundrels, which uh, is coming back, which I talked a little bit about last time because I'm very excited about that. So um, onwards to the next thing that I read, which is the Swamp Thing. So. This is The Swamp Thing, and this is, um, this is kind of like coming out of the, uh, Infinite Frontier stuff. This is like DC's, um, DC launched this Infinite Frontier event, um, and we got like the, um, the glimpses into the future, which I talked a little bit about, um, and this is now coming, spinning out of that. This is a new Swamp Thing series written by Ramji, uh, Ramvi, 
Art is by Mike Perkins. Colorist Mike Spicer. Letters by Aditya Bidika. Um, edited by Alex Arcar and Diego Lopez. Published by DC Comics. Um, now, like, DC kind of, like... They do a lot with with horror and things like that. And um, another bit of interesting news that I came across today is that DC are launching a new horror imprint uh, called DC Horror, which is going to be coming around this summer, which is going to open out with a um, a book that follows the Conjuring movie series, which um, it's going to be like a prequel to the next one they're doing. Um, but yeah, that's going to be the first book that's going to headline this. And uh, so they're doing this new horror imprint, which I'm quite excited about. But that's by the by this. Bear with me because this all does feed into one place because um, Swamp Thing started out life in the pages of um, some of the older DC horror comics. And I've talked about Swamp Thing before on this on this show. Um, and I. Yeah, I absolutely love Swamp Thing and I'm so, so glad to be seeing it back in print really like that is that is the biggest thing for me seeing swamp thing back in a physical comic that's ongoing not not a winter special not anything else like a new number one and the fact it's written by ram v as well is just like that's like another thing that that just adds to it another layer of like enjoyment for me because it's ram v and we love ram v um so yeah he's he's absolutely killing it with this by the way just just in case you you wondered you know, like this, this guy kills everything he touches. He's amazing. Um, but we were looking for, I've been looking forward to this since it was announced last year. Like I, I can't get, I can't get across to you guys how excited I've been for this Swamp Thing comic and now finally being able to read it as well. Um, so this is like the first time since the new 52 book that Swamp Thing has been in kind of like an ongoing print situation. Um, and, it's this really cool story where it, we've got an all new Swamp Thing. So we're not talking Alec Holland anymore. We're talking this new guy. Um, we are talking uh, one Levi Kame, who uh, he, I mean, like most of this plays out through flashbacks and it's in kind of like media. Res. So we're kind of piecing together what happened to him to make him Swamp Thing as we're also getting the narrative of the book with him becoming Swamp Thing and discovering his powers. So he's discovering his powers and we're also piecing together what happened to make him Swamp Thing. Now, um, as far as we've gotten so far in the first two issues, he was working for a huge company in America and they sent him on a trip to India to be the face of India because they knew he had roots there. Um, he is an Indian man, his family in India and things like that. So he's gone back, but like it had, the trip had a secondary purpose for him because he was going to also um, seemingly make things right with his family and uh, see his father who was in hospital. Um, and something happened to him while he was in India. Something, something happened that was, um, we get like flashes and flashbacks about protests, about fires in the forests um, in Kaziranga and, Somewhere in the woods, his brother does something and makes a dark bargain, which I believe is the root of his new powers of him now being the avatar of the green. But we shall see as this all unfolds. It's all rather interesting and cool. Um, so, yeah, this guy, this guy's the new Swamp Thing. And it's oh, man, it's just super cool. It really is. I'm just flicking through it again now and I can't. I can't say anything other than how cool it is to have a Swamp Thing comic in my hands. Like, that's, 
that's as far as I'm getting. But it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, it has it, it, it does this amazing thing that Swamp Thing comics are always very good at. And Ram V adds another dimension to it by getting a little bit more psychological. But it does this amazing thing of having the kind of like interplay between life and death and the forces that represent life and death on Earth. So Swamp Thing being the avatar of the green, a force that represents life. And uh, all these various facets or forces that represent what we know as death or in the um, the mythology of Swamp Thing and the, the DC mythology is termed as the rot, which um, characters like Anton Arcane, etc., you know. Um, and, yeah, you've just got the embodiment of the desert as the main antagonist, I guess, in... Um, these first two issues. Now he's not only, um, the embodiment of the desert. He's also, and he's not also, he's not only the antagonist, but he's also kind of guiding hand for swamp thing at the beginning as well. Like kind of explaining to him what he is in a way. Um, and, uh, he's this like opposing force that is basically the desert. He's a, a desert that became a man or a man that became a desert. He wandered off into the desert. Um, and something happened to him while he was out there in the desert and he became the embodiment of the desert. And he's like a, a, a civil war soldier that never came home or something like that. But it, it's, it's really cool. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to give you too much, uh, cause I want people to read this. Um, it's a really awesome concept and another facet of the rot, like this all consuming force, like this desert, this, this death, this absence, like it's a really cool way to represent that. And he stands there with like these, like, gold nuggets for eyes and he drinks crude oil and things like that and it's really cool um like ramvi's writing style and his horror especially like i love what he has done with the place like so so he's been in and he's like completely redecorated and it's awesome like he's he's taken like the whole um the usual stuff you'd find in swamp thing the horror element the um this whole life coming from death and death coming from life thing. I mean, it's, it's there in the first page. Like as soon as you open the book, you have a uh, 12 panels of like the life cycle of a maggot, basically <laughs> in human flesh. And we then find out, cause that zooms out to a full double page spread. We then find out that this is a, uh, a doctor performing an autopsy on a dead body that someone's found in the desert, which happens to be one of the victims of the pale wanderer, which is this, uh, this embodiment of the desert. Um, and it's just, it's just all these little things that you get within Swamp Thing books, like these little, um, explanations of life cycles, these little, little touches that, that really go into the kind of the deep, um, interplay of life and death, which Swamp Thing seems to be all about. Um, and, just this awesome uh represent these awesome representations of things like there's this fantastic representation here of turbulence on a plane uh this is where it gets quite psychological because this is where um levi is starting to he's on a flight um back to new york and um he seems to be really struggling on this flight um he's like having a fever and things like that he's not he's not um he's afraid of flying he's very anxious and uh we we you know, like the way that that comes across in the story, the way that that is illustrated by the artist, the way that Ramvi's written that in is really good. And like the, 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 the way that the panels play out and we get like a shot of the plane in the storm outside and the skies are green um, with the lightning flashing through it. And then like 
uh, we get some shots from in the plane with the newspaper that he's looking at and the guy next to him asking if he's okay. And then we go back to the outside again and the storm has, it's, it's got tentacles and tendrils and we've got this plane flying through this, like this green mist with these tendrils and tentacles, like reaching out for the plane, this like eldritch storm that he's now in. And like, you know, he went, he's talking about like, this is like where he has like this dream. Like he goes back to it. He's just having this dream. Like this is where the dreams begin with him dreaming of being the swamp thing and becoming the swamp thing and things like that. And it's like, it's really like, um, cause he, it, it, the, like it, there's a double page spread of the plane getting destroyed because he turns into the swamp thing and can't control it. But then it's all in his head because he wakes up when the flight lands. Um, it's all fevered and it's all very, um, very much something that I enjoy looking at. <laughs> Cause I, I mean, this is like kind of in the vein of, um, the, uh, the, the graphic novel that we discussed, um, blue and green. Was it? I can't mm. fully remember the name. Is that correct? Am I right? Yeah. Blue and green. Yeah. Of yeah. course it is. Yeah. It sounded adjacent to it. But yeah. It is it. <laughs> yeah it's it's got it is yeah blue and green it's it's got it's it's got shades of that in the way that it presents itself in the way that it presents the horror which i really enjoy um and it's the it's the detail in that as well and just these little details in him becoming swamp thing and like his fear of the unknown and his anxiousness at this darkness and this visceral fear of what what is going on with like his uh his blackouts and his dreams about the green man or whatever and everything else it's it's absolutely fantastic this transformation like mike spicer's colors here as well like enhancing this this fevered and lurid thing that's going on in this book it's amazing um and the level of detail as well like no shying away from the ugliness of death here with this like again back to the maggots page it's fantastic um and the absence of life and the representation as a force of that in the environment, like the, to be able, like something as abstract as a desert and then to be able to distill that into a man and have that fully represented as a, as a force, as an avatar of that force is amazing. Like the hostility of it and the hostility of the environment and how savage he is and the endless tango of it all like the force of like it's like fully realized revamped and it's it's open for business it's here in these comics like it's under new management and it's back and i just yeah just just read it just read it do yourself a favor and read it please <laughs> it's brilliant but yeah so that is a uh, swamp thing that's issues one and two i checked out and um i i cannot wait to see issue three and see what comes from this. I've been, I've been waiting to talk about this since last year. And I feel like I'm just absolutely ram- I feel like I'm just rambling and just like throwing words at a Velcro wall now, but like, <laughs> well, I was going to ask you a question yeah. and, um, it's related to the whole the thing as a whole, but like, um, which like specific element of swamp thing as a, as an entity, whichever versions is the thing that like that grabs you the most. Um, I like all the weird science that comes up in Swamp Thing from time to time. Uh, in the more stuff, I really liked the, the horror element and everything else. I think, I think he did that very well because he went at it from kind of like a, a, a monster movie. To, I mean, it did get psychological at points, but he went at it from a monster movie kind of thing almost because he had a lot of like, um, the stuff with, um, 
like Abby Arcane, Ab- Abigail and Anton Arcane and everything else and that kind of I really enjoyed that stuff and I enjoyed reading it that way and getting into the character that way um and I think I think I've just always had an affection for the Swamp Thing as as a figure as and 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 a representation of the force of the green I've always found that interesting I've always found his powers and abilities interesting and the politics of the way the forces of life work on earth in the DC universe with like the red represented by animal man and the green and then the rot and everything else and how that is all kept in harmony by the various avatars. Hmm. Like that has always, that has interested me since that started to come up and like, I got really deep into it with new 52 swamp thing. Um, Cause obviously I've been reading the more swamp thing as well. And then the new 52 swamp thing came along and I got even deeper into it and there was even more cool stuff come up um and it's just it's just something that's just always like vibed or interested me in a way yeah because it, it seems like a a Cough. like concept or uh like entity which actually becomes more and more relevant as time goes on and we creep closer to the the heat death of the planet yeah i mean it, it was earth day recently as well <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there um yeah. Um so yeah. To uh quote the beginning of Captain Planet as well, our earth is in peril and Gaia, the spirit of the earth, can no longer take the senseless destruction plaguing our planet. So please recycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh Swamp Thing one and two, and that is written by Ram V, artist Mike Perkins, colorist Mike Spicer, letters Adichabidika, editors Alex Arcar and Diego Lopez. Published by DC Comics. And uh, on from there to the final one on the list, uh, which is Orphan and the Five Beasts. Um, now, this is something that I chose, and I, I'm glad you guys read it, because this is the one I wanted you to read, because it's just, it's, it's so silly. It's fantastic. It's um, such a Greg book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for starters, it's, uh, it's James Stokoe. And it's all James Stokoe, written by James Stokoe, art by James Stokoe, letters by James Stokoe, covers by James Stokoe. And you can't get any more. Like, first of all, I just want to ask you guys a question. Like, what rate do you think this guy works at? Like, like <laughs> I was going to say, like, three pens an hour. <laughs> right? the, with the amount of detail he puts in his work, like, he must be... Have like a mountain of discarded yeah. pens in the corner. Um, Nigel, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you the link to the book because uh, I want you to have a quick look at this. So I'm going to send you a link to the Dark cool. Horse page. Um, and there's like a couple of preview pages nice. on here. So right. I'm putting that in the Discord now so you can have a look at this and get in on the conversation because I feel like you need to have a quick check out this as well because you'll enjoy this, I think. Um, so this is a... This, this is martial arts madness is the easiest way for me to describe what this is. Um, if I just give you the blurb. So, oh, oh yeah. This is the most detailed yeah. cover <laughs> I've ever Welcome seen. to James Stokely. <laughs> Destination, hand cramps. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so this is Orphan and the Five Beasts, number one. So this is a brand new Kung Fu epic from James Stokoe, the creator behind Orkstein and Aliens Dead Orbit, which is another stellar book. 
Um, oh, he also did some really cool Godzilla books as well, which I've talked about on previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so spurred on by her master's dying words, the adopted warrior orphan Mo seeks to find and kill five former disciples who now threaten the land with corruption from the demonic powers. Part five deadly venoms and part surreal grindhouse, James Stokoe brings his knack for ultra detailed fantasy imagery and over the top violence to the classic tale of revenge. Um, his artwork is astonishingly detailed with an infectious, monstrous energy and dynamism that needs to be experienced by every fan of comic books. And that's sci-fi why I say in that. And I think we've said similar things at previous points in time. But yeah, so a madcap martial arts epic of momentous violence and humour. Um, I'm going to just go typical Stoko style manga, manga sensibilities, like really coming through in this one. Um, in the expressions and the movement and the action, like this is super kinetic and you can really feel the speed and the power and the purpose, which I think is key for a martial arts tale. Um, it's beautiful art with tons and tons of fine detail, lots and lots of lines and, and lots of fine lines. It's like super textured, isn't it? Um, yeah, as with everything he does. Hmm. How often does he do these put put out work? Because this. Well, yeah, that's why I said how many, what what rate does he work at? Because, but like, I mean, he doesn't. <laughs> it's it's really kind of like um, I don't know because the last book I got from him was Dead Orbit, and how long ago was Dead Orbit now? Two years ago. That was years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't. I mean, I think he's done like. Uh, things since then obviously i think he's done um like uh stories in uh annuals and things like that for i think he might have done something in a dc annual at some point um so it's looking like yeah he's done a a venom annual in 2018 Uh, just for reference dead orbit was 2017 like that was wow that was a long time ago um well anyways yeah he works obviously you know Doing something like this takes a lot out of him because you look at the amount of detail he manages to cram in one page. It must, it must, yeah, it must, it must destroy his hands because I've seen, uh, like he works by, I'm sure he works by hand as well. Cause I've seen him, I've seen photographs of him at a drawing desk. So he's not a digital artist either. Um, or he doesn't begin digitally anyway. I think he puts a lot of lines down with ink. But he's like, yeah, I mean, obviously he works slowly, but like, look at what he puts out, man. Like, you can't fault it, really can't. Um, And there's just tons of texture in it, which I love. And it's so tactile and bold. And yeah, I mean, I want your thoughts on it, first of all, Ray, because I remember getting a text off you (laughs) earlier today, which said, poor horse. (laughs) <laughs> that's my main takeaway from, like it's it's violent it's violent in a way that i don't actually appreciate because like that was so visceral and over the top that i was a little bit off put but like I, I i i think historically on on the cast i said how much i disliked his last one which was aliens dead orbit and i think that was the wrong place to onboard me with james togo because since then you bought me godzilla the half century war for my birthday a few years ago five years ago in fact because when I turned 30, bloody hell. Um, and, like, I read that after I read Dead Orbit. Sorry, it took me so long. But, like, that was a much better introduction to his work. And I feel like this is similarly, like, fun and kinetic and, like, um, like joyful. I, I, I want to use the word joyful because it's, like, got a vibrancy to it. It's got that, like, man- that 90s manga feel to it. Like, I didn't really grow up with Dragon Ball, but I feel like it has that kind mm. of um, shonen 
anime like sort of vibe to it and uh yeah. yeah i i think the thing that i like about stoko most of all when he's working in something that allows for a lot of color unlike aliens dead orbit is that he puts so much detail into his work like even if i didn't like the plot to this or the storyline which i'm still 50 50 on and i want to see where it goes because it's all set up right now but if i could just if you could take away all of the the writing and just leave me with the art i would be satisfied with this book i think there's so much to pour over and i love I love works that let me, like, hunt for detail in a book. And there's just, there's so much going on here. So I'm actually quite taken with it. But yeah, um, Leon, let's get your first impressions of this one. Yeah, I, um, I'll, like, echo uh, the stuff to do with, like, the detail and, um, like, the use of colour. I think a word that's come up a lot, this episode is like um like kinetic and um i think this book is like hyper kinetic and the, the way how the transition between panels um the beginning uh, the 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 end of actions leading to the start of actions like all of it flows really well and really coherently uh, the geography of of the fight scenes, um, everything about it is like really well rendered. Uh, on top of already being well rendered in terms of the uh, the actual line work, um, and um, like Rahul said, there's a lot of st- stuff to search for um, within the image, and there's a lot of like detail whether it be like grotesque or something that builds up the location and the setting there's just so much going on but it never feels messy it always feels legible and um it has such a clean look despite all that and Hmm. the just wild stuff like texture so when things are broken, seeing all these different bits of like wood and branch and stuff and horse. flying out, yeah, yeah, and like yeah, body parts, uh. Uh, <laughs> organs, and so. but it's all done like really well and in, in a non-gross fashion. Like it does, re- just kind of remind me of the OVA sort of animes that would get manga entertainment, like your Violence Jacks and stuff like that back in the in the 90s um but whereas those were like sort of the animation video nasties Hmm. where it felt like uh the dubs were like hyper sweary and there's all types of like um violence in there um this one feels like it's the technique that's the point not the uh not the brutality but the brutality is a demonstration of how good these techniques uh are and and how um, untethered to the way of life and the the further teachings to control all of it, what what that looks like in in raw power, and with uh, the protagonist, this is someone who has the teaching, who has the, who's done done the training, and so in. Uh, really like early on in these issues you you really see the um 
uh, how how that meets up and how sort of the the loose and heavy style and sort of smash for anything style meets with the uh, the more patient, the more surgical um, uh, style of of the protagonist. I, I think that like amongst that, it could get easy in could get easily lost in in it becoming a uh, like a, a shonen type thing but i think there's a lot of world details that are used to add texture and weight um and even like extra wrinkles which make um it all really enjoyable to read and there's there's elements where it, you almost get like bloodborne boss territory or i guess more sekiro yeah <laughs> uh, yeah which, definitely which is hilarious Hmm. I'm I'm get I get um Fist and All Star vibes. From, yeah, definitely. Yeah, from the size of this, like it's one of the pa- one of the final pages where you get the size of this guy, like standing, like the first guy that um the orphan Mo has to fight. Um, she comes face to face with him like towards the end of the first issue, and the size of this guy is like they do the they do the Fist and All Star ratios. Definitely, like <laughs> with the the big hulking bad guys, and then like little Kenshiro just standing in front of him, just like, and then every time they switch between the two, like from bad guy to Kenshiro, the bad guy gets bigger. It's like, have you ever noticed that when you watch Fist of the North Star? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, I'm sure it's like it's on along those lines, and it's great. Um, it it has like you say it has that anime quality. It's like absolutely oozes like the, this madcap like nineties OVA style, or or even you know like one of those things that you would buy on a dirty VHS from somewhere, <laughs> like, like some, <laughs> some horrible old manga thing that you'd buy. Like you'd see it in a video shop, and you'd be like, oh well, I want to try that out. Um, but yeah, it's like the perfect escapism and it's just over far too quickly. It's a gorgeous book to look at and it's just dense, dense art with this exaggerated action and characters. I, I'm waiting for more. I've been waiting for more Stucco and like this, this kind definitely does the trick. Like I, I love this, the names of these characters as well. Like Thunder Thighs. Like the bad guy, the bad guy in question in the end of this one, like the, the first guy she has to fight is Thunder Thighs. And his fighting style is two trees bearing heaven. Um, and this is the, the the scene that we're talking about with the horse. <laughs> he basically crushes a horse between his thighs to demonstrate his power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's uh, oh, wow. He's a big lad. <laughs> well, and he's fun. constantly <laughs> running out of horses because he keeps doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why he stuff. likes doing it so much. It's just it's I just like his favorite thing to uh, do or something, off. isn't it? Or so they say. But uh yeah, I mean I'm just like the amount of just like everything on that page as well, on the final page, you've got like bowls of food just flying about, like little bits just flying around everywhere, bricks, tiles, stones, people in the background just like oh no trying to get out of the way and stuff and it's just it's absolutely insane and like to think that this guy oh this is like sorry. the what were you gonna say oh no i was just gonna say it's not just the the kind of thing that you'd have to 
go over it once just like to read the story but then again to pick up on the detail yeah. that you absolutely missed on the first yeah uh, on the first and meeting. it's like when you get to the um when when they introduce thunder thighs the bandit king and the lettering on his name and everything and even in the background like instead of just blocking it in and blacking it out he's hatched it so if you look at the background of that page mm. of that panel um where you've got the sky in the background with the lightning when thunder thighs appears he's hatched it yeah i wanted to touch on this because there's so many pages where like you look at how much like line art ink there is on the page like the page is literally 80 percent line art yeah, and it's like how is anything legible? Like it's it, he's pulling off a magic trick sometimes because um, there's there's certain pages earlier on where uh, there's so much happening. It's like there's a there's a background and a foreground, and it's like all these different like like a mythical um, painting sort of uh, image where there's like all these different scenes overlapping each other. And it's like how do, how is any of this distinguishable from anything else? But it it clearly yeah. is. There's a this lot is, of clarity to it, and I just don't understand how he does it. This is how I imagine James Stokoe lives. So you know that bit <laughs> at the beginning of um, Three Hundred, where you've got like the bit where they throw the babies off the cliff, mm. right? Where it's like, okay, if the baby doesn't make the cut, they discard it, right? Well, I think what he does is he's got he lives next to like a, a, a kind of like a, a cliff edge, and what he does is he, he like he does some drawing, then he goes outside and he just drops a technical pen that he's used up off the cliff edge, <laughs> and there's just like this mountain of dead technical pens, <laughs> just like. <laughs> I, I think like on, on top of his ritual sacrifice of technical pens, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think one one thing that I noticed throughout his work and is evident here is that uh, he uh, the characters and and buildings often have a good silhouette, um, and then a lot of the time a kind of uh, light halo in effect is is done on the outside lines, and yeah. it's, it's subtle, but it's enough to um, separate them from the wider background, and uh, it happens throughout. The, uh, throughout a lot of his stuff but here it's done really well because it's um, to some degree on some characters it almost gives it like a glow mm-hmm. but like it's really subtle that it's enough that it pops the characters out in front of you so they don't get lost in this like really well conceived like forest for instance uh, in- instead like all, all the different elements uh pop in 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 different ways and i think that's what makes the action so good as well it's like really mm. good um silhouetting really good like character design yeah. and location design to do that but also uh like little art techniques to subtly uh lift stuff off the page or like separate it from the background and make the image more dynamic and um yeah, it's done to just terrific effect throughout. He, he strikes this incredible balance with the amount of detail that he crams into each page and then still, like you say, keeping it so that it's clear. Um, and in the way that he plays, like, with the, the the way that he plays with the negative space as well as part of the, the page, like... So you'll look at the page again, back to the introduction of Thunder Thighs, you'll look at that page and the way that he's done to play with the negative space so that Thunder Thighs stands up off the background. Um, Because what he's done, you can see where he's left it blank, like around the silhouette of Thunder, around the outside of Thunder Thighs so he stands off the page. 
and like is more exaggerated and in your face. It's great. Um, and this is what I just, this is just what I love about Stoko. Like the fact that he manages to cram all this detail into the page and, and he does it in such a way and he strikes such a balance between like overdoing it and under, and, 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 and you know, like taming it slightly. And he manages to do it so well. And I can't, I just cannot conceive of like any, there's, I don't think there's any other artist in comics today that I know that manages to pull something like this off. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, you know, like you can get in touch with Ace Comicals and you can tell me if you know another artist that's like Stoko that manages to do something on this level. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this is as far as I'm concerned, I don't think there's another artist in comics today that does this like and, and manages to cram this much detail into a page and has it look this gorgeous because this is just his work and I love it. Like I absolutely love his work. And the fact that he he writes this, draws this and colours this all himself. Like it's insane undertaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> he does the whole thing by himself, and it's it's an insane undertaking. It really is. But yeah, because yeah. it it definitely gives off like uh, like newer like Mobius vibes, mm. but like um, with a, a completely like different style of uh, like image construction. Yeah, for sure. And um, I guess another artist that is is you know like uh, that I consider to be in the same kind of ballpark as this is. Um, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson because he he does some stuff that's kind of like in a similar ballpark um, with things like um, Extremity and um, Murder Falk and those kind of things but like uh, he yeah. I, I think this is this is some like uh, but they've all they're all good at their own things and James Stokoe is is good at getting tons and tons and tons and tons of tiny finger breaking detail <laughs> into each panel and I love it and that's that's kind of what I love the most about his art. Like since I was introduced, I was introduced to it through the Godzilla books, and like I've been hooked since then. Like he's he's definitely one of my favorite artists. I find like when I see things like this, it reminds me of uh, I can't remember the exact same, but this idea of to be successful or uh, successful in terms of like the craft. Um, at something you have to be obsessed <laughs> and it's just what reminds me of an obsession because it's not a casual thing like to to even like you mentioned there's not many artists that can pull this off but i mean just uh artists or people that would even think to try to, to do yeah. this level of detail uh across the whole page it's like you have to be like this is his thing <laughs> this yeah. is this is what he does and he's just taking it to Mm. I mean, if he was a covers artist or something like that, and he just stuck purely to covers for books and things, and he was putting this out, this kind of stuff out, then yeah, but like he's doing this on interiors as well. Mm. And he's doing full books yeah. like this. It's like, it's, it's. Um, How many pages is this? So this is like a, a like a standard, standard issue. I think it's like 23, 24 pages, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah. 32 oh, no, pages, quite, yeah. Uh, yeah. So pages. it's, yeah. Just, and that's 32 wow. pages per issue. <laughs> so he's doing, he's going to put out a few of these because this is something that's, I think it's going to run for maybe five or six issues. Is it? Is it five or six mm. issues or four? I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head how long this is going to run for, but either way, <laughs> I'm impressed. 
but yeah, I mean, he does this, and he does this with um, he, the Godzilla books, and he did this with uh, the Alien books and everything else, and it's it's it really is an insane undertaking. And I am looking forward to the rest of it. Uh, issue two is apparently knocking around at the moment, but I've not managed to read it yet. Uh, but yeah, issue two came out this week, so I've only managed to get through issue one so far. Um, issue two is on the stack, ready to go. Issue two is awesome. I read issue two. Yeah. I've not managed to get around to it yet. But I, it I has really, really, really cool <laughs> super anime stuff in there that you'll really like. Nice. Like, nice. Su- like a samurai movie stuff in there oh. as well that you'll really like. Oh, wicked. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. So, yes, that was Orphan and the Five Beasts, which is by James Stokoe. Um, and I think that closes us out, doesn't it, for this episode? So, um, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Uh, you can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. We're up on Twitter under at Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. Um, Instagram under Ace Comicals. You can find us to listen to us anywhere where podcasts are available. Um, also, we um, there's the occasional sporadic blog post as well that I've been putting up as well on the website. Um, most recently, I did a little feature on the Urban Tales Kickstarter campaign, which is a comic uh, that Soaring Penguin Press are looking to publish. Um, it's it's a, it's about cats. It's it's autobiographical slice of lifey comic strips by Ilana Zephyrin, who's an Israeli comic artist who lives in Tel Aviv, and um, she does these comics about life with her girlfriend and her two cats. And um, it's just like it's about life in Tel Aviv, and it's a, it's like you know little little humorous things, little everyday dramas and whatever. But the cats are there commenting on it as well, like Greek chorus style almost, um, and it's just really fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did a little feature on that cause, uh, I, I checked out the previews and things and it is really good. Um, so consider checking that out and, uh, consider backing it, I guess, if it's, if it's, if it's in your wheelhouse. Um, where can we find you, Nigel? Uh, so the best place is mymatter.com. You'll be able to see our current stories and um when it is done uh, and ready uh, the new series through the fog story uh you touched on like our sort of merchandise and stuff like that and then our podcast as well so uh we also do a podcast where we talk about stories across pop culture so it's called story x story and i do that with uh, my co-host tazzy who also hosts our gamepad event so mymatter.com um my matter on twitter my matter tees on instagram because someone already had my matter much to my annoyance but uh we're also on instagram uh as well so yeah we're in uh, a few places nice um leon where can we find you you can find me on twitter at leon ever um rahul where can we find you also on twitter at monkey that's m-o-o-n-k-e-h and you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's at B-A-T-T-O-U. And uh, yeah, so as always, you want to get involved in the conversation, please do at SDM as talk to us about comics, it's what we're here for. Um, and that has been Ace Comicals episode 110. Ace Comicals, over and out.